Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Kingdom Come. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. Well, welcome again to Vertical Church in case uh, you came in late or we didn't get to meet each other. My name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church and so excited that you chose today to be here because we are uh, just wrapping up a 40-day fast as a church community, as a body of believers, as a people centered around and focused around the person of Jesus Christ. And for the last 40 days, we have been seeking His presence. We've been seeking His kingdom. We've called the whole series Kingdom Come. We called our 40-day fast Kingdom Come Initiative. And today, we get to the passage where the whole thing started from, the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at what Jesus says about prayer. Last week, we started chapter 6 of Matthew with, when you give, Jesus said, I'm assuming that because you're a follower, because you're a believer, that you're giving. This week, he says, when you Pray. In other words, Jesus is making the assumption that his followers, his believers, his, his community prays. That it's something that they do often. It's a marker for the community. But let's face it, while you're turning to your Bibles, prayer is not, prayer is not obvious. Let me say it this way. It's not natural to pray. Can we just admit that? Before we dive into the Lord's Prayer, can we just admit that it's not natural to pray? That, that it's something odd and mysterious. I mean, at its lowest point, the lowest kind of understanding of prayer is that you're shouting into a void, hoping that there's somebody in there that can hear you. Let's just admit it that if people on the outside looking in your, your bedroom or looking through the window see you praying, they might think you're a little crazy because they know nobody else is home. Let's just, let's just kind of get on that, on that level that, that prayer is not obvious and it's not natural. This is why Jesus teaches us how to pray. This is why Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Let me teach you how to pray because Jesus says, I know it's not natural. I know it's not normal. I know that sometimes you're going to feel like you're talking to yourself. So let me teach you what it looks like. Prayer is this mysterious thing. And for some people, it's beyond just mysterious, you know, kind of wonderful. It's puzzling. It's, we know once we've, become a follower of Christ, and if you're not a believer this morning, um, then I, my, my prayer is actually that you'll, you know, meet Jesus and, and you two will start a wonderful lifelong relationship today. But for those of us who are, are Christians, we are believers, we know inherently that we should pray because Jesus says when you pray. But the struggle is we're, we're just not sure how. Because, have you ever experienced this? You go to pray, and you go through your list, and then you, you have this great ambition 
this audacious desire to spend 15 or 20 minutes praying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for 30 minutes. Or maybe you get real spiritual and you say, I'm going to pray for an hour. And you get five minutes into it and you're kind of done. Have you ever experienced that? Okay, just making sure that we're all on the same page. Because prayer's not obvious and it's not natural, but we know we should do it. We're just not sure how. And the thing about the Lord's Prayer is it can provide for us direction and almost like a scaffolding. It's not the whole building. You don't have to just repeat the Lord's Prayer 15 times every morning and, and, and that will ensure your ticket is punched to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's giving us kind of a, a scaffolding. Here's how you should talk to God. Here's what it looks like. It's a framework that that we don't have to blunder around in the dark trying to figure out how to do this thing. Jesus tells us, this then is how you should pray. Before we jump in there, let's start with Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. So Jesus says, and when you pray, again, making the assumption, you're a follower, you're a believer, I'm assuming you're praying. That's what Jesus says. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's stop right there. In other words, Jesus says, when you're trying to figure out how to pray, don't look to the overly religious crowd. Don't look to the hypocrites and the Pharisees to figure out how to pray. Instead, Jesus says, why don't you take a look at a relationship between a child and their father? Jesus says, your father knows what you need. Your father will. Jesus has already begun framing the, the, the conversation by saying, the person you're praying to is your dad. He's your father. So don't look to the overly religious, don't look to the hypocrites, don't look to the Pharisees because they love to pray with big words and loud words and boasting so everybody can see them. Don't be like that. When you're trying to figure out how to pray, look at how a child talks to their dad. This is what Jesus is getting at. And he goes on to say in verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, Jesus says. If he, if he could make it any more clearer, he, I, I don't know that he could. Do not be like them, he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now that word in verse 7 for babbling comes from the Greek word batologeo. And I don't expect you to really read a lot of Greek, but it comes from two words, a word that means stammer and a word that means word. So literally it means stammering words. Jesus says, don't, don't batologeo like the pagans. Don't babble on and on and on and with words like the pagans. And then he says this, and this is brilliant. This is actually kind of funny. Uh, with many words, that phrase many words is, again, the Greek word pololugia which rhymes with diarrhea, which you would be surprised how many scholars, biblical scholars, people that write commentaries, pick up on this. 
I'm reading, and they're saying, this is pololugia, which rhymes with diarrhea, because Jesus is really saying, when you come into God's presence, don't have diarrhea of the mouth. I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. More, more than three like, biblical scholars that I read studying this message have pointed that one fact out, that this word rhymes with the word for diarrhea. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's like, don't just spew words and words and words out of your mouth as if you're trying to get God's attention because, hey, God already knows what you need before you even ask because he's your dad. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't botologia, pololugia over and over and over because he already knows what you need. Now, surely when Jesus said this, the people who heard him would have some kind of reference point. They would know what it meant to babble on and on with many words. They would be familiar with that. Because in Jesus' day, a lot of non-Jews and a lot of Jews had these long, complicated magic words that they had to repeat over and over and over again because their goal was to persuade their god or their goddess to look at them favorably. So they had to repeat these words over and over. And they had to get them in the right order. And they couldn't leave out one because if they left out one, their God might get angry at them and not do what they've asked their God to do because they have offended their God because they didn't get all the names right. And they never really knew which God they had to pacify because there's so many gods. So we've just got to heap words upon words upon words upon words. Let me give you a couple of examples here. I know, that, I know that a lot of you read prayers from ancient Babylonia in your spare time. I know you've probably got a book in your bathroom when you sit down you're reading ancient prayers. But for those of you who don't, here's a prayer from Egypt, a prayer to the, uh, the god Amun-Ra. I want to read this to you. This is the beginning of the prayer. Jesus' audience would have been familiar with this. The beginning of the prayer goes like this. Hail to thee, Amun-Ra, Lord of the thrones of the earth. The oldest existence, ancient of heaven, support of all things, chief of the gods, lord of truth, father of the gods, maker of men and beast and herbs. Wait, really? Maker, well, you know, are you talking to the maker of men and beasts or are you talking to the maker of men, beasts and herbs? We've got to understand who you're talking to here. Maker of men and beasts and herbs. Cilantro, maker of all things above and below, Lord of wisdom, Lord of mercy, most loving opener of every eye. And it went on and on and on with these words. As if Amun-Ra is standing there saying, are you talking about the Lord of wisdom or are you talking about the opener of every eye? Oh, both, that's me. It's just words Upon words, upon words, Jesus says, don't pray like this. Another example from, this is, this is a funny one, actually. I, I, this is hilarious. Um, Bab- the Babylonian moon god. Okay, here we go. This is several slides, so you just got to kind of keep up. Father Nana, Lord Anshar, hero of the gods. Father Nana, great Lord Anu, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord Sin, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord of Ur, hero of the gods. Father Nana, Lord of Egishirgal, hero of the gods. Father Nana, 
Lord of the shining crown, hero of the gods. Father Nana, who is greatly perfected in kingship, hero of the gods. Father Nana, who solemnly advances in garments of princeliness, hero of the gods. Ferocious bull, whose horn is thick, whose legs are perfected. Because Father Nana is not going to be pleased with you if you don't notice his thick horn and his nice calves. Like, seriously? You came to me and you didn't recognize my legs? I've been working out. I'm drought. You, you got drought. And how many more times do you have to say Father Nana? As if, as if you're coming into Father Nana's presence and he says, well, you only said Father Nana seven times. My quota today for you is eight. I'm going to kill you. You know? Give you a, one more example. From, uh, uh, this is an example actually from Scripture. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we get the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And he's there battling with the prophets of Baal. And they're both... Their gods are kind of squaring off. It's, it's like a UFC, no-holds-barred match. You've got Jehovah God and, and Baal, and they're going to go toe-to-toe, and they're going to see which one is the real deal. And so here we go, 1 Kings chapter 18. This is kind of spliced together. Then they called on the name of Baal, this is the prophets of Baal, from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. They shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to get your God's attention, step one, you begin calling out. You begin shouting, and you do it for hours upon hours upon hours. It says from morning until midday, from morning until noon. What is that, six hours? For six hours, these prophets called out and shouted out. And when they decided, hey, this isn't working, step two, let's start dancing. And they start dancing around, all just to try to get this God's attention. Bell, would you notice? Bell, would you listen? Maybe, Bell, we've got to dance so that you'll wake up. So they start dancing. And when that doesn't work, when Bell still doesn't answer, they start shouting louder. Because that always works. You ever been around somebody that's talking to another person or talking to a person from another country that doesn't speak their language and they're trying to get them to understand? What do they do? Log louder. I want... No, it doesn't work. They don't know English. Your volume isn't going to help. But that's step three. You shout louder. And if that doesn't work, then you physically harm yourself to let your God know, I am willing to shed my own blood to get your attention. It seems like for us, those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior, it was Jesus who shed his own blood. We don't have to get God's attention that way. And if that doesn't work, then we're just going to work ourselves up into some kind of frenzy and offer something. Just It's time for the evening sacrifice. Let's just offer something of value. Maybe we'll get his attention. 
Jesus says, his, his, his followers, his, the people he's teaching this to, they would have been familiar with this story. This is Elijah. Everybody knows Elijah. You know, you don't have, if you went to vacation Bible school, you heard about Elijah. And, and Jesus says, you don't have to do this. When you pray, you don't have to do this. There's no magic formula. There's, there's no particular order of words that you have to follow. Because Jesus, Jesus hits on something that, that I think is so true. I, I believe there's a deep wound in humanity. And it was true 2,000 years ago. It was true 10,000 years ago. And it's true today. We have this primal question. Is God angry with me? And that's one of the questions we all have to answer. Is God listening? Are the gods ticked? Does God care? And Jesus says, he's your dad. And he already knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to go through this ritual of words to get his attention. So Jesus answers one of the core questions and he diffuses all of the worries and the fears. God, your dad, your father, he knows what you need. And so he goes on and he says, beginning in verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Don't try to have some kind of magic formula to conjure up your God. This then is, your God is your dad and he knows what you need before you ask. So he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In the Greek text, that's 57 words. That's it. In 57 words, Jesus pulls every area of life, every imaginable request that you could ever have. In 57 words, Jesus takes it all and brings it before the Father. And I want to show you a few of these areas. First thing Jesus does is he speaks to every area of life. He begins the prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. In other words, he says, right at the beginning of the prayer, the first thing we're going to acknowledge, God, is that you are are holy. And that word holy means you are not like me. You are other. You are the creator. You are holy. You are magnificent. You are powerful. You are infinite. I am not. You are holy. Right at the beginning, he recognizes that there is this world beyond what we can see and touch and hear 
Because when we grew up, we grew up going to school, and in school they teach you the scientific method. And the scientific method basically says whatever you can see and touch and hear and, and smell and taste, whatever you can observe and, and, and take in, that's what's real. And if you can't observe it, then it's not, we can't say it's real. But the reality is we all know that's not true. We all know that there is something beyond this world. There's something greater than this world that, I'm not knocking science and technology, it's great. It's, it, it is doing what it's supposed to do, which is taking information with our five senses. It's, it's great. But what, what Jesus does right at the beginning of the prayer is he acknowledges, God, there is an entire world beyond what I can perceive. There's heaven and, and, and there's the reality and the realm where you are uh, fully present. And, and I acknowledge that you are not bound to the limitations of my perception of you. You are holy. And so I acknowledge that because here's the reality and here's the truth. A lot of times when we go through our daily life, when we're paying bills and we're picking up kids and we're, we're running errands and we're getting groceries and we're cooking dinner and we're going to bed and we're painting a room and we're playing in the yard, we can move to a place where all that we take in, all that is real is the physical world. And so Jesus says, there's a whole world beyond. And you can get so caught up. And the danger of that is, is sometimes we need reminded that God is present. And he is beyond all of this. He's above all of this. Because what happens is that we get so focused on something that it becomes the center of our world. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the center of the world. God is. Your problem is not the center of the world. God is. Everything doesn't revolve around your stress. Everything revolves around God. So he says right at the beginning, acknowledge that there is this world and, and acknowledge that that's not just a coworker sitting beside you down the hall. That's someone created in the image of the holy and we have the opportunity to interact. He says there's more to life than just the details of each day. But then immediately he switches and he says, give us this day our daily bread. You, you don't get more detailed about life than the next meal that you eat. Amen. So in this amazing 57-word prayer, Jesus begins with this expansive affirmation that God is holy, that God is other, that God is greater and beyond anything that, we can, uh, anything that we can imagine or take in. And God is concerned about your next meal. 57 words. Jesus says there's this spiritual world that God is concerned about and God is deeply concerned about your physical reality as well. In this expansive 57-word prayer, God, Jesus says, God is huge, and he's in the next meal. He also speaks into our relationships, relationally. 
I mean, the whole prayer kicks off, and we could spend an entire series on the two words, our Father. Jesus says when you go to relate to God, relate to him as your dad. And a lot of us have difficulty with that. Can we, can we be honest? A lot of us have difficulty with that because we didn't have a good dad. And so what we end up doing is because we didn't have a good dad, we take that relationship and then try to use it to form a paradigm and judge the relationship that we have with God the Father. And that's backwards. What we ought to do is take God the Father, His love for us, and then judge our relationship with our earthly dad. And if he messed up and if he didn't take the awesome advantage and and opportunity that he had, well, it's his fault. It's not God's fault. God's a good father. God's a good dad. And so we have to relate to him that way. He says... For those of you who are parents, if you've never had a child, you probably won't understand this. But if you've ever had this experience, you're standing in the kitchen and your kid comes in, and they might say some different words, but the gist goes, Dada, 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 can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And you're like, what? Yes! Jesus says, don't babble on with words and words and words. Your father already knows what you need before you even ask. He's your dad. Now get on your nerves. We don't have to get on God's nerves. We don't have to wear him down. We don't have to annoy him into hearing us. He's our dad. He's our father. He knows what we need. And all he expects is us to come and ask He'll be happy to. A lot of people think God's out to get them, and God's not. God is for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and die just for you. Why would he be angry with you? God is for you. God loves you. And Jesus says everything centers around this relationship and relating to God as Father. But he also doesn't stop with that relationship because he goes on and says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. It's a prayer that says, God, would the relationship between me and you be restored and would the relationship I have with my brothers and sisters, would you restore those as well? Jesus brings all of our relationships into God's care in 57 Words. Jesus deals with every time possible. Well, forgiveness, that, that's about something that happened in the past, right? I mean, we don't ask for forgiveness. Uh, we, we don't ask somebody to forgive us for wrongs that we have yet to commit to them. When you ask for forgiveness, you're talking about an action that took place in the past, So forgiveness, that's in the past. Give us today our daily bread, that's the present. Lead us not into temptation, that's the future. 57 words, Jesus says you can take your past, your present, and your future, and you can bring them all into God's care. Because he already knows what you need before you ask. So is your past weighing you down? Are you you stressed out and nervous about the present? When you look into the future, do you have this wave of depression that comes over you? Jesus says, you can bring all of that into God's care. 
and into God's hands because he cares for you and he knows what you need before you ask. So Jesus, in these 57 words, deals with every time possible and he brings it all and he says, God, would you please take care of that past, present, and future? Jesus affirms the desire for transformation and change in these 57 words. The prayer is a request for heaven to invade earth. It is, it is a prayer that says, heaven, come to earth. Lord, make this world more like you intended it to be. It, there's a move in the prayer, a move from there to hear, God, make what is there here. Yes. Let heaven invade. Make this world like your world. The prayer for the kingdom of God to be fully present in our lives is not a prayer for us to be snatched up and taken into heaven from, from earth and, and spend our life there. It's, it's a prayer for the glory and the beauty and the passion of heaven to be turned into an earthly reality. God, let your kingdom invade our kingdom. And Jesus says when that happens, when that is done, God's name, his character, his presence will be held in honor by everyone. When heaven invades earth, we've already witnessed this. We've already, in Jesus, seen the kingdom of God begin breaking in on earth. We've seen Satan's power crushed, and we've seen healings taking place. And that's the kingdom of God invading our reality. And the prayer that Jesus teaches us is a prayer for transformation and change. Finally, and I think this is probably the, the biggest and most important thing in the whole prayer. Jesus teaches us what real, proper perspective looks like. You see, in the prayer, there's this, we've kind of hit it, hinted on it already, but there's this internal structure. Let me give you a clue. The first half of the prayer is about the Father in heaven, your name, your kingdom, your will. Second half of the prayer is give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. See, proper perspective always and forever begins with God. A lot of times when we come into God's presence and we come in to pray, we begin with our stuff. Jesus says, nope. Don't do that. Begin with his name, his glory, his kingdom, your passion, your desire, your dreams, your love, your mercy. Because if we will begin there, when we get to our stuff, it'll be put in the proper place. Because as we said before, when you're stressed out about your problem or your stress or your situation and all of a sudden it becomes the centerpiece for your world, Jesus says, nope, it's not how it works. Let's put God in the place of, of first position, in, in the primary spot. 
And let's affirm His kingdom. Let's pray for His glory. Let's, let's declare His name. Let's, let's focus on God first. And when we get to our problem, when we get to our stress, it'll make more sense. Because it's in right perspective. Jesus says that you can't, when you come into a situation where you can't think about anything else but your thing, whatever it is, stress, relationships, your, your marriage, your coworker, your the, the stack of bills that you got piling up, the, the layoff that you think is, is, is impending, all of that stuff. Whenever, whenever that becomes the centerpiece for your world, your perspective is skewed. Jesus says the prayer begins with our Father, your will, your kingdom, your name, your love, your passion, your dreams, your reality, your heaven, now my bread, my sin, my fear. When we put things in proper perspective, when we start there, when we start with God's agenda for the world, He doesn't say ignore the details of your life. He doesn't say ignore your bread, ignore your sin, ignore your fears about the future. He doesn't say that at all. He says just put them in proper perspective. And when you do, it won't own you like it does right now. Sometimes our problems own us when they become the center for everything that we do. Jesus says when you put them in the proper place, they won't own you. Like that. God's name, His kingdom, His will must always and forever have the primary, primary place in our prayer. 57 words. Best I can come up with, that's probably two, maybe three tweets. It's pretty good. One Facebook post and you could get the entire prayer out there. He says you don't have to have a bunch of words bambling and rambling on as if you're trying to get God's attention. What if, what if that's the way you and I saw the world? Where I can place all of life. I can place the spiritual world, my physical world, my relational world. I can place it all in God's care. I can take past, present, and future and bring them into God's sovereign care. I can take all of the desire and need for change in my life and I can bring it into God's care. I can take everything place it there before God and He's capable of caring for me. The next time you have stress about bread, where do you start? The next time you have stress about bills, where do you start? The next time you have fear about a relationship, where do you start? The next time you fall and make a mess of your life, and you, the next time you sin, or the next time you say an angry word, or the next time, where do you start? You start with 
with God and His love, His kingdom, His will. This morning, we're actually going to take part in communion together because communion is this very real physical representation and reminder that God is taking care of it all. That God, through Jesus, is providing for every need, providing for every, every fear that God has it under control. That we can place every area of life before Him because He's Dad. And he knows what we need even before we ask. So this morning, is there a dimension of your life? Is there an area of your life that needs to be brought before God? Is there a problem that you just feel is too big? It's just too big. I can't face it. I haven't fixed it. I don't know how to solve it. This morning, you're going to have the opportunity when we take communion together to surrender all of that stuff to God. God, here, take it. Take, take the care about the bread. Take the fear of the future. Take all the ways I've messed up in the past. Take it. God, take my... A need for change, take it. Take all that stuff that's messing the center of my world up, take it. You know what? You can do that confidently because He's your dad. He knows what you need before you even ask. Some people say, why ask? The reason you ask is because He already knows what you need. He already knows what we need. Why do we ask? Because he already knows what you need. If you ask, he's good. God will never not answer. His answer might be no. His answer might be yes. His answer might be wait. He'll never not answer. Because he's dad. Because he cares for you. He loves you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.